Hello there, and welcome back to Beats by Social Work. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany, your host for the show. We're so glad you came back. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, check out episode one to learn more about who we are. But a brief summary, we are both certified clinical transplant social workers who specialize in all things heart transplant and LVAD, also known as left ventricular assist device. Our goal is to talk all the things transplant and LVAD from the social work perspective and to bring the human element back into the world of transplant for our fellow social workers and our patients, as well as professionals who may stumble in. As a reminder, we are social workers, but we are not your social worker. So we hope topics discussed here will lead you to further discussions within your own transplant team. Hello, Beats by Social Work listeners. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany. So we have a special guest with us. So Murphy, and I understand that your new last name is Sweetels. Did I say well, that correctly? not quite new. I've been married for five years, but I am known in the medical community as Stidham. My last name by marriage is Sweetels. Gotcha. Okay. And you are a double lung transplant recipient. Yes, That's- I am really incredible. And so I'm really excited for the opportunity to get to talk to you and learn more about your story. So Murphy is a COPA syndrome survivor. So C-O-P-A syndrome survivor. This is a rare genetic autoimmune disorder that can affect multiple systems of the body, especially the lungs, kidneys, and joints. Murphy's lungs started bleeding and scarring from the bleeds when she was two years old. In her family, it is a genetic disorder, and she received her lung transplant when she was 24 years old and comes to us today to tell her story. So I'm going to turn it over to Tiffany for the first question in our interview. Well, and as always, we like to start with a quote, but we're doing things a little different this time because Murphy's favorite quote is more so a song, and it is Praying by Kesha. And there's a story behind that, right? Yeah. I don't know if it's my all-time favorite song, but this song, I challenge you if you are about to go through transplant, no matter what transplant, I challenge you to listen to it because when I was in the hospital, I was at my worst. I listened to it over and over and over. I had a little compact disc player. Tiffany, you might remember this. Um, I had a little compact disc player and I burned a CD and listened to this nonstop. And I imagined it's a song about an ex, but I imagined I was singing at the top of my lungs to my disease. And it was me talking to myself about my disease. And I imagined myself strong enough to stand up to my disease, even at my weakest. So I challenge you if you are at the point of breaking to listen to this song, because it might help. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we're going to have to post some of the lyrics in, uh, in our show notes. Yeah, I actually wanted to look them up while we were talking because I'm a somewhat of a Kesha fan, but I don't yeah. think I've ever heard the song. So. Again, it's Praying by Kesha. And every year around my long anniversary year mark, I listen to it constantly on repeat. In fact, I'm at my long anniversary mark right now. It was March 17th. I'm at five years and I've been listening to it on repeat again and it never gets old. And now I actually can sing it at the top of my lungs. I was just going to say, now, do you do that at the top of your lungs? I sure do. Dan, my husband, just loves it when I do that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? I'm sure he does, actually. I'm sure he (laughs) finds a lot of joy from it because you are able to. Mm -hmm. There's truth in that. 
And Tiffany actually truly understands it because Tiffany was my social worker. So we have a kindred spirit in this. And I'm sure she'll ask some questions getting to the root of that. But I, I love this particular podcast because I get to hear my Tiffany. We're, we're on separate sides of the country now. I'm in Florida and she's all the way on the West Coast, which makes me sad. But I'm glad to be here with her today. Yes. Oh, we're very glad for you to be here. And as you said, um, I was involved and I was your social worker so that makes today's guest even more special because it is. Now, I will say, putting it out there, disclaimer, we I am no longer her social worker. It has been enough time passed to be able to uh, have this without being a conflict of interest. Got to make sure we put that out there. But that's what makes it even more special. You know, just watching you and you being able to have this conversation without having a breath. I, I, you know, very distinctly remember where we would have conversations and the action was going in the background and you would have to, to take a breath halfway through the, the first couple of sentences. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I used to like, it, you might recall, I, it was natural for me. I didn't, I couldn't tell the difference, but through my sentences, I would cough all the time. And my, my husband used to joke around that if he ever lost me in a store, he would just pause and wait for the coughs <laughs> and he would follow the coughs. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I don't cough at all anymore. I can laugh without coughing. I take it for granted sometimes because it's so natural now to not cough. And it's so interesting because when I think about it, I remember, you know, why I did all this is because of those things that were so important to get rid of. And back then they were normal. And now I, I don't want them again. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so take us through that a little bit. Tell us, tell us about your transplant story. I mean, tell the rest of the listeners, tell us all about your transplant story from your perspective. Well, my life to pack it quickly <laughs> was because since COPA is so rare for those listeners out there that don't know anything about it, I suppose it's a little bit like CF or a little bit like lupus. I knew oxygen at a very young age. I was on and off oxygen since elementary school. I was in and out of wheelchairs because of the arthritis. There were limits to what I could and couldn't do, but luckily I had a very good support system of family and friends. I was very lucky in that aspect. We did not know what I had until I was around, oh gosh, I want to say like 17, we diagnosed it, but that was very lucky because my mom's generation went an entire lifetime without knowing what they had. We were initially diagnosed with interstitial lung disease. And with that, we still, it was unknown. So we had ILD and we called it quote Murphy's disease because it was like that version of it. It was impossible to nail down because all of our symptoms were so different. In our family, it only affects women. It doesn't affect the men, um, but the men can carry the gene and pass it on. But that's getting a little too technical. So moving on to when I was more of an adult, when I came to Mayo, I was receiving infusions weekly of steroids. I was getting a gram a week of solumedrol. And I, again, was on oxygen, but not heavily in college until 
until the end of college. I needed a steady dose of oxygen. And it was like two liters. And then when I was out of college, it started rising and rising and rising and rising. And then it became clear. So around 19, I put myself in, you know, to talk about transplant. Initially, it was not a discussion for COPA. But then luckily at Mayo, my pulmonologist said we should talk about transplant because pulmonology and rheumatology are just band-aids. They're not going to fix your problem. And, you know, we can only do so much. We're not going to, you know, you're getting worse and I want you to live a good life. And honestly, you're not going to be able to live much longer if we don't come up with a better solution. And he was brave enough to tell me that at 19. And no one else had ever talked about transplant with my family. And unfortunately, we've lost family members because we didn't know transplant was an option. So got in to talk to Mayo Transplant at 19. And again, I didn't get my transplant until 24. But that process took a long time. Around 23 is when I needed a lot of oxygen. I was pushing, I I don't even know. But at the end, I was on 65 liters until I needed. I was in the hospital for like a month before they decided to intubate me. And then they trached me. And this was all while waiting for lungs. So back up a little bit if you want to hear a fun story. Um, Of course. Yep. So we're pausing on the transplant right before we get the lungs. I was told I needed a transplant. And we knew this. But then I was told I was listed. Well, I was told I needed a transplant. And before this, my now husband, he was my college sweetheart, had decided he wanted to propose. Well, he proposed to me on Christmas Eve. And then sometime early January, I was told I was listed. And for most people, this would be good news, I've learned. For me, I was devastated because I couldn't have a giant, wonderful wedding. And Mm -hmm. I took it very hard (laughs) because I was like, well, what am I going to do? I could have a lung transplant any day and I can't plan this amazing wedding. Mm -hmm. I was like hyperventilating and you can't do that when you need a transplant desperately. So my docs did didn't know what to do. My coordinator didn't know what to do. They called in Tiffany, who was like, why on earth would you tell her this like this? She doesn't <laughs> handle this kind of stress this way. Because Tiffany knew me very, very well. <laughs> because luckily, social workers pay attention. <laughs> and she sat me down in a wheelchair, <laughs> tried to calm me down, called Dan and was like, you need to get down here. <laughs> And Dan was like, oh my God, what's happening? He got down here. Everything was fine. We calmed down. Tiffany like put all of her meetings on hold just to get me to calm down. I was being a bit of a drama queen, but it's fine. We got past it. Got us to our next appointment. And I looked at Dan and I said, you want to get married next weekend? And he said, sure, why not? So in six days, we planned a giant wedding. We got married at the Cathedral Basilica in St. Augustine. A hundred people showed up. I wore my grandmother's dress that fit me like a glove and had not been tarnished in 65 years. And all of my girlfriends planned all of their dresses to match in my favorite color. We had our reception at our favorite Irish pub because the manager's a doll. And some of my family flew in from Massachusetts. It was the best Irish-Italian wedding. And we honestly, I would not change a 
thing. It was the best. I love that. Because we decided we wanted to get married before the transplant and it was important to us to get married under God and it was just important. And so we did it. And then we were then admitted into the hospital because I got sick wicked fast. And um, we waited for a month. Then I get intubated. Then I get trached. Now we're caught up. So about a week later, I'm in an induced coma at this point. I'm waking up. I'm kind of fuzzy in my head. My nurses sweet as can be from AIC, from all the infusions I had done, came and gave me like, it was almost like a little bachelorette spa day. They were like rinsing my hair out, being so sweet. This is the last thing I remember before like transplant. They, um, the last thing I remember was getting intubated. And then all of a sudden all these people are pampering me. And then after that, I was so tired and I woke up the next day and it was early. Dan was getting ready for work. He was by my side every night before going to work the next day. And then I see Tiffany walk in the door and it's like 5 a.m., something like that. It's really early. She walks in the door head to toe in Chicago Bears gear. And because that was my husband's favorite sports team and they shared that little snippet. And so (laughs) she was head to toe in Chicago sports gear and she was with my doctor and she just looks at me and we had had this deal that if I ever got lungs she would be wearing Chicago gear and mind you I had we were on our last limb we had tried everything to get lungs and it was I was really really bad in fact my priest had come the night before and given me my last rites we had basically come to peace with this wasn't happening and she comes in and she just looks at me and she says we've got lungs and she is the one who told me and I looked at Dr. Malaya and I said what (laughs) and he said yeah we've got lungs and then my husband came in kind of scared because it was way too early for doctors to be there and Tiffany told him and he about fell to his knees And I, because I mouthed to him because I couldn't talk because I was trait, we've got lungs. And that began the process of the day. And it was just the most incredible miracle because we, there was like no other, it was, it was, it was done at that point. And here they came and Tiffany was the one to deliver this miracle. It was really cool. You know, I think I I might've told you this, I'm not sure, but that was actually the first time that I got to tell someone that they were getting the gift of life. Um, That was the very first time that I even got to be a part of the experience. Normally it's the physicians that were calling their patients and um, telling them or in some organs of the procurement organization or the procurement nurse it's calling rather. So for a social worker to have the experience to be able to go in there and it was just, it was amazing to see and amazing to see that progress. That is an absolutely beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing it. And so I want to ask you, what surprised you the most about life after transplant? Well, mind you, I, I would like to first tell anyone who's really nervous about transplant going into it because that's something that was on my mind. Transplant being an option really and truly is a miracle. And if you're nervous at all about the surgery, if you're nervous at all about your nerves, if you're nervous at all about the lead up to what's going to happen like in that moment, what I was thinking day of, honest to God, I was just so tired that I did not care. 
Like I honestly, when they say dying is hard, it's exhausting. So your nerves truly might not be there. Everyone is different. But for me, I was just so, so tired. Like imagine the most tired you've ever been and then add 50 times onto that because it's it's indescribable. So I really was ready to meet my maker. Like I was at peace. So if you're worried about that part, just try to put it to the side because that's not the most important part. Now, it is important to brace yourself for possibilities so that you can be at peace with your friends, your family, and your life. But in terms of fear and nerves and all of that, try not to let that unsettle you. Now, after transplant, I think it's important that you understand what you're getting into in terms of the gravity of the work because you do need to put in the work. I don't know that a lot of people truly understand that. It comes now, again, everyone is different. Not everyone experiences pain to the gravity and extent that it can be delivered, but some people do. Mine, unfortunately, was a little rougher than others, but that's only because my body did not respond well to pain medication. Now, I have transplant friends who will tell me it really wasn't painful for them. Now, that's very interesting to me. It's kind of like when you talk to people about childbirth, like some experiences are different than others. But it is important, though, that afterwards, regardless of the level of pain, because it's a surgery, I mean, there's going to be some discomfort, whether you're going through the amount of pain I went through or the amount of pain my friends go through. It's important that you understand you need to work your organs pretty much right after. So it's like as soon as you can move, move, because the quicker you get on your feet, the quicker you will heal and the stronger you will be. And I am telling you, you do not understand how strong you can be until you get there because you've never been able to be that strong. It's incredible. And I mean, I that's not fair of me to say because who knows, this could have come under like overnight and you could be a completely different kind of illness. But if you're someone like me who's never been able to breathe right in their life, you may be someone who's always been taught, you know, know your limitations. Know that if your heart's racing too quickly to slow down. That's not necessarily true after transplant. After transplant, your heart your your body is built differently. Your your lungs can handle more and your heart can handle more. Your your body can handle more. So trust the people around you who are telling you what you can and cannot do. They're not going to let you go further than you should. So if mm-hmm. they're telling you to push yourself even if you feel like you can't listen to them you may want to yell at them curse at them (laughs) them. like I promise you I was there there's this one pregnant woman that I really wish I could apologize to (laughs) I'm certain she's not pregnant anymore but I have her in my mind at least I hope not (laughs) but they were right (laughs) I could do it you can yeah And that is so important. Because you're right. And I think that's something that's definitely necessary to hear. You don't know what your body can handle. You think you can. And you think because you're the one that's living it and going through it. But the fact that you mentioned of being able to trust those around, that they have your best interest at heart, even if you want to yell at them, because you looked at me sometimes like, get the out of here. (laughs) What are you talking about right now? Mm -hmm. But- It's, you know, necessary and it's hard and it's hard emotionally. You know, that's the thing too, because that physical, you've never experienced pain like that, or you've never experienced just the feeling of what 
it's like to to have your organs replaced. Yeah. So that's the next bit that I was going to get into is you don't fully anticipate what you're going to go through emotionally. So, I mean, again, everyone is different, but you may see your fellow transplant people when you're going through rehab, handling it maybe a little better than you. And, you know, you may see them all sunshiny and like, you know, running and like, you know, with a pep in their step and smiles on their face. And they honestly might be putting on a face. You don't know. Um, Unless you guys are in group together and they're doing great. And if so, great for them. (laughs) But I mean, you might go through some dark times and I did. I am on year five and I am, if I am honest, I am just now starting to feel like myself again. I went through a lot of emotional trauma where I I kind of had identity crises after transplant and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think that people experience things kind of similar and, um, you know, aside from what I went through, it's hard trying to be brave through all of it. Um, For example, I remember when I couldn't talk because I was trached for a really long time and trying to handle, um, you know, communicating through everything. And I really wanted to communicate what I was feeling, the pain I was feeling, the, uh, the types of things I needed in the hospital, much less what I, what I needed outside the hospital when I got, when I was discharged. But, um, when I was in the hospital trying to communicate that, I remember really panicking because people were coming in and just treating me like, in my mind, I was like, they just think I'm a piece of meat. Like, I remember the lowest point of my life when I, like, to this day, I still think that's when I hit ground zero for me. And it was when I was hospitalized. And I truly just felt like I was a sack of meat that they might as well have been doing an autopsy on. And I was fully conscious that the only thing I had control over were my tears. And mm-hmm. I, people were just talking over me and I'm not going to go into detail because I don't, I don't want to scare listeners out there because this is truly not meant to scare you. This is meant to tell you that even when you hit your lowest point, there are things you can do to make yourself stronger. And for me, I created a mantra and it came from a tech. There was a technician that came in one night and he was helping clean my trach and he just sat me up without my permission and it made me really upset and he was trying to clean my trach and I didn't like the way that it felt. It scared me and he saw it in my face and he said, hey, it's okay. And he just looked at me and he said, trust the machine. And I knew in that moment that that's what was going to get me through it. I couldn't trust the people. I'm going to trust the machine. (laughs) And so every time I was upset, I just said over and over in my head, trust the machines, trust the machines, trust the machines. And some of you may think the machines are going to take over the world one day and that's not what we need to be doing. And that's okay because it got me through those dark times, that and Kesha. (laughs) But... (laughs) But you will find ways to get you through those dark times. It is very, very possible to get you through those dark times. And I am here to tell you, time may TikTok and be very long in those moments, but it is so, so, so worth it. And I implore you to just give it all you've got because when you get to the other side, there is nothing like it. Like if you think you're living a great life now, 
seriously, when you get to the other side, it is everything. It is everything. And Tiffany can tell you, I know that she talks to you all the time, but she can tell you, I give her permission. We had, she is the most incredible social worker because she would stay behind. I'm I'm bragging on you right now. We had group therapy and she would stay behind afterwards. It would end at like six or seven. And she would talk to me until like 10 o'clock at night pre-transplant because I was freaking out. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it because I had this weird thing in my mind where I was connected to my organs. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. I felt like I should go down with the sinking ship. And fun fact, I was the first one to be transplanted with this particular disease. So I was a guinea pig. And since me, there have been others transplanted with COPA, which Mm -hmm. is great. And I've actually come in contact with a few of them and we're we're friends now, um, which is amazing. and, And one of them is my family members. She was Actually, today is her first long anniversary. Wow. Ah. Yes. So um, it's actually, I, I was crying a little before this interview because <laughs> it's just like the timing of this. I'd like to like dedicate this to her. It's incredible. <laughs> well, guess what? You get to do that. You can dedicate this to her. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So I mean, I- like organ donation, it's, it's a ama- it's not that weird. It's not like when I think about it, like really think about it, it's not the hardest thing I've gone through. Hmm. It's- Wow. That's a powerful statement, I'd like to say, uh, as a whole, but especially coming from you and knowing how hard you work to get to where you are right now. And as you said, uh, this is not meant to scare listeners, but to be reality. And I think the most important thing that you said in all of this is you made it through. You know, you, you talked about how you hadn't found the lowest point. You were so scared. You, I mean, it's tiring dying is what you said, right? All of that. And you're here to tell your story. Five years later, you're, you're telling it, you're advocating, you're living life. I mean, that's, that's life's only purpose is living. It is. And like I've said, like everyone is different. My friends who have gone through transplant, their experiences are different. My aunt, who, like I said, today is her long anniversary. Her name is Liz. And she, her experience was very different from mine. And I just, everyone who does it is extremely brave. I mean, this is not an easy choice, but there, you know, it's not the surgery part that's brave. It's the work that's brave. It's the continuing to choose to show up and do the work every day for the rest of our lives. It's the continuing to take the medication, to talk to your doctors, to be honest with yourself about your limits, to, sorry, that's my dog. To be honest, we can edit things. Yeah. (laughs) To be honest with yourself about your limits, to be honest with yourself about, you know, what's good for you and what's bad for you and what's good for you emotionally. And, you know, like also just be honest with yourself about what you need help with. And I think pride is a big part of transplant. Pride is a big part of what you have to let go because a lot of us are used to dealing with our illnesses in a way that we are just like, okay, this is who we are. This is what we accept. And we live our lives differently than others, but we can take care of ourselves. And then we get to a point where it's, you know, death or something else, but we're trading in one thing for another. It's not fixing it. And in order to do that, we need help from caregivers, from loved ones, from support systems, especially in that first year. And, you know, when you're an adult, that is very hard to accept, especially at the very beginning when you're just giving up your autonomy. And my 
favorite word, compliance. And it's just, it's a lot when you're a very independent person. So I applaud those who are willing to put in that work because you're doing it hopefully mostly for yourself. Because if you're not doing it for yourself, then you're not helping those that you love. Because Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're not happy with the choice you're making, then the ones that you're loving, you know, on the other side, they're going to feel it. So you need to make this decision for you, not for other people. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's something that, I mean, so many of the things that you've already mentioned are things that come up in conversation for many of our patients and social workers out there in the community may wonder, how do I respond to this and how do I sit with this? So just thank you for the opportunity to normalize it and acknowledge that these are healthy, normal feelings for a very, like you said, miraculous treatment options. So for those of you who obviously have figured out that I'm losing my voice, I appreciate you bearing with us. But uh, Murphy, I want to ask you a question. You mentioned friends, you mentioned transplant friends. Can you talk to us about the importance of community or finding your people and what that looked like for you post-transplant? Yes. So going into transplant, I was very lucky to connect with someone who had already gone through transplant. Some people did not love that I connected with said person who will remain unnamed because that person did not love the word compliant. But this person helped convince me to go through transplant. And I am very lucky to be this person's friend. And they were also there for me during my transplant, did not leave my side. So I'm very blessed to have that person. Now, having said that, I made other friends through a transplant who do love the word compliance. (laughs) And they have beautiful stories. Every single transplant patient is like a snowflake. They're all different. And you will learn very quickly in this community that absolutely everybody thinks their story is the story. And I kind of think that's really cool, personally. You might find it different from other people's perspectives, but I think it's super cool because, I mean, these people are like Frankenstein's people. Like, we're all going through it. Just, we're gonna live forever, switch out the organs, like, keep it coming. I mean, their stories are so cool. When you think about it, there, you know, these people chose to keep living. Like, you know, people choose to do triathlons, they choose to climb mountains, they choose to jump out of planes, which I just did, which was super fun. I just did that for my husband's birthday. I surprised him. Yep, you can do that if you get transplants and you live a little longer. As long as you ask your transplant team. Yes. I checked with my transplant team. I even told Tiffany, I said, I got it authorized by my doctors. I, my husband would not have done it otherwise. I totally got a signed doctor's note that gave me approval. But anyways, moving on. These people have chosen to literally get organs taken out and put new organs in. Mm-hmm. Like when you think about that, that is like such a cool thing. I mean, it's really morbid that I'm saying that, but it is. It is a really cool <laughs> thing that these people are doing that. Like because that is a huge decision. And it's not 
just your everyday biopsy because they are also choosing to live longer. They are choosing to keep going. They are not giving up and they want more of this life. Everyone is talking every day about how, you know, the world's on fire and things are, you know, going down the drain. I'm trying to keep this very PG. But these people, they are not those people. These people are saying, no, there's more to this life. I'm not giving up on it. And I'm either going to continue to live it the way I want to live it, or I'm going to continue to live so that I can make it better. And I'm not going to give up on this world. Yeah. I mean, the world may have given up on them. Science may have failed them so far, but it might not fail them in the future. And they're Mm -hmm. not giving up on that. So that is why I think every snowflake person who thinks their story is the story, they deserve that. Because they are so cool. Well, because guess what? Their story is the story. Every story that we hear, that is the story. Because that's your story. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, I love hearing every story and I love their faces when they tell it. And I mean, our community that we build, it's so unique and it's so exclusive. And when we talk to one another, we truly support each other because we know what it is to go through it and we know what it is to hurt and we know what it is to keep going and we know what it is to survive and we know what it is to be excited about something, even as little as a test result. And then we know what it is to be scared about something and we know what we need in that moment because other people like caregivers, which I am now both lucky and maybe not so lucky but I consider myself lucky to know what it is to be on both sides because I I think it's important to have that empathy and I gotta tell you caregivers they are the real heroes in the story it is not easy to love someone so much and not be able to do anything. So seriously, kudos to caregivers out there because, wow, I don't know how my husband and father did it. I seriously don't. But moving forward, the people in your community, they are the people who, for example, I have a couple friends going through rejection right now. And I don't know what that's like. And I pray that I won't for a long time, if ever. And I do know, though, that every time they tell me something, it's confirming my biggest fears. And I know what their fear is. And I know what the sinking holes that they're feeling is. And I know what I would need in that moment. They're your tribe. Yep. They are the ones that you can have your medical team, you can have your loved ones even, but we can never know what you're experiencing. Your community of people that you've built, they can, even though it's all different. Again, everybody experiences the journey differently, but you know what it's like when you hear the word rejection and you know what it's like when you hear the word compliance or those words that that are the triggers, right? The, the trigger is almost trauma uh, aspect of it. And so it's, it's building that. And some people try to shy away from it. They don't want to think about transplant after transplant, but embracing it sometimes gives you that ability to do both. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of my friends didn't want to go through with transplant again. And that was really hard for me to hear. And I, you know, you have to approach that a certain way because- I, as of right now, would like to say I would go through transplant again, but I can't say with certainty that that's how I would feel on the day that it comes. Well, it goes into, you never know what life's going to do. It's human, right? This is real life. This is real life. And we're just here living it. Yeah. But it's, it's the truth. It's needing that support. It's knowing your support and it is relying on what you need in those moments. And it's different in each moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's important. And, and I like that you 
you hit on that because sometimes it is, it's relying on your loved ones. Sometimes it's relying on the machine. Sometimes it's relying on your social worker, or it might be relying on your medical team, whatever it is for you. It's know that. And in truth, sometimes it's relying on yourself. Sometimes you're the one that has to pull yourself out of the darkness. And you just have to know that this is such a unique experience. And sometimes you're not going to find that person who is going to be able to understand what you need them to understand to pull you out of it. And sometimes you just need to be strong enough to accept that and pull yourself out. And that's okay. Like what I really, really want to focus on is that this whole experience is so worth it and it's too important to let the little moments of the day drive you away. And I used to focus on the things that scared me and I made them so big. I made the what ifs so big that they built up into a wall and it made me so scared to go through with it. But then the realization of I was running out of time Hmm. became too big to ignore and I had to make the decision and I would never change that decision. And I know the hardships I've gone through. I know what I've given up. And I think my biggest obstacle has been mental, truly. And I think although that is something I still battle, I have gotten help and therapy and social work and friends and your your community, your family, whatever type of community you can build, whether it's your transplant community, your support systems, whatever, it is so worth it. It is worth the work. And so when I say work, I don't just mean rehab. I mean, you've got to every day, because what my regimen looked like post-transplant was I was going to rehab like three times a week. I was going to the gym every day. I was going to transplant support systems once a week. And I was going and I was having my therapy three, two or three times a week. So when I say work, I mean more than just rehab. Plus you're yeah. doing all of your blood work. You're, you know, you're going to your regular team, blah, 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 blah. So it is work. But then when I say you're continuing to put in the work, you're choosing to show up every day, I still have regular therapy. I had therapy yesterday. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to continue to show up for yourself. And so that's why I say it's important that you do this for you. Because if I wasn't choose, if I didn't choose to go through a transplant for myself first, then it didn't matter that I wanted to be here later for my marriage or to be my dad's daughter or to be, you know, here for my family or my other friends. That none of that would matter mm-hmm. because I would just be a shell of a person who's doing all this work because I'm told to do it. That's right. That's right. I'm doing it because I want to do it. And I wanted to do it going into it. Thank you so much for everything that you have shared so far. I'm so thankful that we've had this opportunity. And I want to finish with one more question. What do you want to share or what do you think you want the takeaway to be for maybe a new social worker in transplant? I mean, Tiffany, we've talked about stuff like this before. So everything that you did is exactly what a social worker should do. So just in general, if you are a social worker, make the time to reach out to your patients. I love that you guys, and I'm sure you still do this, but I I love that you guys send out, and I still get these, even though I'm five years out. And I I don't go to these anymore, but I still get these. Weekly emails saying, come to this support group. We'd love to have you. This is what we're talking about. This is the time. This is the place. You know, just giving patients the option. If they're a new patient in their pre-transplant or even if 
they're newly post-transplant, especially if they're newly post-transplant, like please reach out to them. Make sure that they have everything they need support-wise and if they need anything therapy-wise. And I'm not just talking like put them on drugs. Make sure that they have people to talk to because it is so important because they don't they don't necessarily think that they need anyone to talk to you know they it's possible that a patient has not even thought about that it's possible that a patient has either never been exposed to therapy or does not have family members or friends who has ever thought of therapy or they have always been indoctrinated into thinking that therapy is for quacks so they don't necessarily think of it as a responsive tool that could truly help them and or they just had a really bad experience in therapy before Mm -hmm. and it's really important that they know that they can either talk to you as a social worker about transplant or they can talk to someone who specializes in transplant and these are all very important to notate because even hearing the words specializing in transplant can change someone's outlook because they'll be like oh yeah like maybe that's me. And I mean, that's how I got connected to my therapist. And I swear he might even know me a little better than my husband. Like, <laughs> I mean, because I, there, there is something about therapy and for listeners out there, please, please take this in. There is something about therapy that is so, it is so good for the soul because even if you're just paying someone to listen to you talk, they have no connection to your family, to your friends, to your work life. They are not invested in you at all. You can tell them anything Mm -hmm. and they will not judge you. They will not deceive you. They, there is nothing on the table and they will get to know you. They will remember everything. So you don't have to like reverse the story the next time. And you know, like they are there to listen to the tea and that is it. They are there to listen to the gossip. They are there to listen to you whine and complain and get mad and talk about the worst things in the world, the goriest things and your worst nightmares or your biggest desires or even just, you know, what you want to have for lunch. Like they will listen to anything and it will never fall back on you. So I implore you to please talk through your experience talk through your traumas, talk through what you're worried about, say it out loud because it will help. It really, really, really will. Because what we go through is not what everyone goes through. It is not just your average everyday stuff. And you're going to go through a lot of stuff that you just take on and you add it to the plate and you say, yeah, sure. Another blood test. Yeah, sure. Another CAT scan. Yeah, sure. This, that, the other. And it becomes normal and it's fine. And yeah, it is. It's not the biggest deal because that's our life, but it doesn't have to be normal you don't have to think of this as normal like you you can unload you can talk about how this is affecting you and that's okay Mm -hmm. and it might feel good to talk about it with someone that's not your caregiver Mm -hmm. so please talk about it with either your social worker or a therapist because they really can help so we just need to have you as our spokesperson for (laughs) transplant social work uh all of the above (laughs) and i hope and I, i know that hopefully you know, but that you can be honest about it too. And not just because I happen to be your social worker at that time, but I just, I loved all the things that you said and you are seriously a walking inspiration. And I just want to say out loud, I am so proud of you from when I first met you and you said, nope, not getting a transplant. I don't need a transplant. I'm fine to maybe I need a transplant, but I don't want to do it this way to, oh 
no, I'm on the list. And <laughs> now you're jumping out of planes and going to therapy. I, I just, <laughs> you, it's so awesome. And I just want to say thank you so much for being here with us and talking to us, but also talking to our listeners, talking to other patients that might be listening. And most importantly, I think other social workers, because just like no two transplant patients are the same, no two social workers are the same. We can be very similar. And I think that's a good thing is that it's not necessarily uh, the same approach, but kind of setting a standard of what the approach should be, the high notes that, that should be discussed. So yeah. I thank you. I'm sure that, you know, it might be helpful for social workers to hear that, you know, as a transplant patient and knowing many transplant patients and having seen transplant patients in their home setting, transplant patients are stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not going to reach out all the time. You're not going to get that transplant patient that, you know, you may think that most transplant patients will panic and call their doctors if they need something, but not all will. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some may be, you know, thinking to themselves, yeah, I, I might need that and I'll do it eventually. But they're probably, you know, eight times out of 10, they're not going to call you if they think they need help. So again, I really implore the social workers to also check on their patients. Yeah, thank you. We have one more question for you. And if you're familiar with our show, we like to do a Likert scale to check in, see how things are going. So we come up with it on the fly. And I decided, since your love of Kesha, we talk about Kesha. Today, on a scale of front row tickets at the Kesha concert, where she invites you onto the stage to scream at the top of your lungs singing prayer, to the man on the street corner that has a Barney costume on calling himself Kesha, asking you to sing ABCs. Where would you be today? Today is Liz's one year long anniversary, honey. I'm singing prayer. Awesome. That's wonderful. That the top is wonderful. of my lungs. And I've got Liz with me. <laughs> yes. I love awesome. it. It's awesome. Murphy, thank you again so much for joining us and sharing your story. There were so many wonderful takeaways from today's episode. I look forward to inadvertently following your journey as well, um, knowing Tiffany, and uh, hope to have you on the show again. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And if anybody does have any questions about my journey and wants to reach out or anything like that, they're welcome to reach out through you guys and I would be very, very happy to get back to them. Great. Awesome. Thank you so Murphy, much. Always a pleasure. Uh, wonderful to see you. And here's to another five years and more. I'm, I'm, I mean, I was about to say, I'm, I'm going for 185. I've been reading those articles about how we're going even, even further into the hundreds. So that'll be yeah. me. I'm the yeah. bionic baby. Just keep switching out the organs. Let's do it. Love it. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. All right. Good luck, everyone. And please get those organs. Yes. Beats by Transplant Social Worker hosts Kristen and Tiffany and affiliated guests and programs expressly disclaim responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of your reliance on the information contained in this podcast or in any media. And none of the persons and entities noted above endorse specifically any test, treatment, or procedure mentioned in the show. Always consult your own treatment team or institution for guidance on your individual care and or practice and policies.